Uh, now we're all calm and ready for service, right? Uh, all the confusion set aside. But we're going to, before, we're going to come out of this calm state and before we get into our service, we're going to do a couple of shout outs. But I changed my part on this, but your part's still the same, don't worry. So, what's the best way for us to live out our faith? To love God and love others. And what words can we use? I love God and I love you. Yeah, fantastic, right? So today, uh, mixing it up a little. It's been like three, four years we've been saying the same phrase and trying to mix it up. Even though I forgot it like two weeks ago. Right? Like, you'd think I wouldn't forget, but I did. We're jumping in this brand new series that Pastor Trevor had mentioned uh, titled Water. So I'm going to start out this morning, uh, and with each of our sermons in the next four weeks, I'm going to start out with a couple of facts. So here are four facts about water. Okay, the first is a gallon of water weighs 8.34 pounds. Next fact, a thousand gallons of water are required to produce one gallon of milk and bring it to market. So including feeding the cow and then making the bottles and all, all that sort of stuff. Globally, over $100 billion is spent on bottled water alone. And fourth, water is the leading cause of drowning. Turns out. So I don't know about you, but uh, if I mentioned right now, think about the Bible and water. Have you ever thought about how many times water shows up in the Bible? And if you start to think about it, all of a sudden, all these ideas are going to pop to mind. In the beginning, the Spirit hovered over the waters. And then, and then God separated the waters. And then Noah, he had some water involved, right? And, and Jonah, he, he, had, he had water. And Gideon separates his troop by this trial by water. Elijah had a, lock, a lack of water, and Elisha saw an axe head float on water, and he saw a ruler cleansed in water. The Jews purified everything with water. In fact, water is referenced 53 times in the book of Psalms alone, and 620 times in the entire Bible mentions water. John baptizes with water. Jesus walks on water. He turns water to wine. He is the living water. Water shows up a lot in the Bible, and for the next four weeks, we're going to travel down this stream of thought, and we're going to drink in God's truth through this theme of water. And so today, we're going to begin with this guy, Moses. Moses' life literally begins with water. In Exodus 2, it records this about Moses. Now, a man in the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months, because at this point the Egyptians were killing the uh, Israelite babies. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, and she coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it, and she put it among the reeds along the bank in the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then the Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank, and she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her female slave to get it. And she opened it, she saw the baby. He was crying, and, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse him for you? She, yeah, go, she answered. So the girl went, and she got the baby's mom. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, look, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll actually pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. 
She, she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Moses literally means drawn out. So his name was like, I, I plucked you out of the water. Water is part of his infancy, but it's part of his adulthood as, as well. Water is key in him meeting his wife. He, he meets his wife at, at a well where she's watering the sheep, and then these bad guys are harassing her, and he steps in and protects her from some of these bad guys and allows her to, to water her sheep. Then God calls Moses to go back to Egypt, you know, and you're familiar with a free my people, you know, set my people free so they can come and worship me. And then so uh, one of the miraculous signs that God gives to Moses is to, to, when he's there, to prove that it was God sending him, not just Moses going on his own voice, was to turn the water of the Nile River to blood. And if anyone disputes that fact, they are in denial. <laughs> That's the last one today, I promise. <laughs> So, <laughs> someone clapped. It's, it's bad. When, uh, when they eventually do get freed, uh, and they're wandering the desert, God miraculously provides water, like just pours out of a, like a solid rock. Like Moses has to just tap on it, and then this thing gushes out, and it happens twice. Well, one, he taps. The other, he's supposed to speak, but he taps in the whole other thing. He actually gets in trouble because of water in that instance. But the main intersection of, of water and Moses is one of the famous, uh, most famous miracles in all of history. When God parted the Red Sea to free his people at the hands of Moses. And we pick up that narrative in Exodus chapter 14 where we're going to spend our time this morning. This is uh, just moments after the Israelites had left Egypt. So there was that whole like, let my people go, no, famines, plagues, that kind of stuff, right? All that problem. Then Pharaoh finally agrees. They're walking out, they're like free, they have this celebration, they're singing, they're dancing, uh, people are, are rejoicing and they're on their way out. That's where we pick it up right here in Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had finally fled and Pharaoh and his officials, they changed their minds about them and they said, what have we done? We let the Israelites go and we lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and he took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops, they pursued the Israelites and they overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahirath, opposite baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. Now, it is highly doubtful that we will ever have this same situation in our life. And so, when we're looking at this scripture this morning, we're not going to see a one-to-one correlation because I doubt that we'll have the same situation. It seems unlikely to me that you will ever lead an entire people group from the strongest nation of the world through a large body of water. I just don't think that's going to happen for any of us. There's not even the parameters available for us to do that. So in our passages today, what we're going to be looking at is for principles, how God interacted with his people, and how we can apply those principles to our lives. Because it is quite likely that you lead a group of people, like your family, from the greatest enemy, Satan, through the troubled waters of life. That is, that is a very likely scenario. And maybe if it's not your family, it might be your friends or your coworkers or church members or any other group that you lead them away from the 
the world or Satan, the greatest adversary through the troubled waters of life. And so our first principle we find here is that overwhelmingly, overwhelming obstacles will arise in your life. So the Israelites had freed, Egyptians changed their mind, and they've got this big problem now. And for us, it may be financial impossibilities. It may be relational impasses. Maybe it's, it's things that are going on in life. Uh, there's a myriad of life's obstacles and problems. And let, let me tell you that first world problems, they're overwhelming too. And so there's no such thing as, well, tell a kid, you know, all, sometimes parents are tempted to say, like, your kid comes to you with a problem, they have this issue with their friends at school, and you're like, oh, that's not a real problem, parents are tempted to say. Well, it is for that kid. It is for those kids who commit suicide because of that not real problem that you thought. And maybe you say, well, I just have first world problems. I, I have all the food and, and shelter I need, but, but I can't pay these bills, and I have all these other frustrations in my life. First world problems are real problems. They feel just as frustrating as any other problems. And so life's obstacles, they come in the small and the tall. They come in all sorts of varieties. They come in, in short trials and obstacles. And they come in long ones that are decades long. But they're all real problems. Look, even when you're following God and you're listening to God, problems and obstacles and difficulties will arise. Listen carefully. Obstacles do not indicate that you are on the wrong path. Obstacles do not indicate that you are on the wrong path. We're going to see in a moment that those obstacles may be exactly what God wants to bring Himself glory. Obstacles are opportunities for you to turn to God, to trust God, and then magnify God on the outside of that when you get through that obstacle. When we find ourselves in those moments of difficulty in life, both small and, and large, turn to God, the only one who does have a solution, the only one who does have power to help. This is how the Israelites did it. They were terrified. This is in the next verse. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, they're like, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to die in the desert? Like, what have you done to us by bringing us out of, the, out of Egypt. Didn't we say when we were in Egypt, like, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will, will, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Here's our principle. You can either give in to your emotions or you can choose to trust God. You see all that was going on right here? If Moses could have solved his own problems, he doesn't need God. If, if there was no obstacle, then, then God is irrelevant. They just walk where they were going to go. But God gets to shine in our lives when we face things that, that, that we can't fix ourselves. When we're at our wit's end and when we say no way forward, the Israelites, they were terrified. They, were, they saw the enemy coming. They're not trained for battle. They're just freed slaves. They don't have any weapons of war. They doubted their leader. They complained. They panicked. They questioned God. 
There was no way for them to escape this. Mountains on either side, enemy behind and sea in front. Imagine actually being there and the incredible hopelessness that comes. There is no way out. Imagine the disappointment. And I thought, I thought God was with us. There's that anger you would find. My kids are here. They're going to get killed by these Egyptians. That God brought you all this way only to let you die on the road? Yet God didn't get mad at their humanity. And God didn't get mad at their fears. Through Moses, he tells them to stand firm, to be still, and to trust that he will fight for them. I mean, what a great advice when we face the crash of emotions that come with difficult situations. Be still. Don't don't panic or, or make rash decisions based on those emotions. Be still. Stand firm, knowing that God is on your side. Choose to trust God rather than fall prey to negative emotions. Our principle is, are we going to be ruled by negative emotions or are we going to trust God and stand still and wait for Him? Then a moment passes and the Lord says this next to Moses. Then the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Now here's the principle, be ready to move when God says move. And so it's really important to listen for God's voice. It's important to to be still and be able to hear him, to be able to say, God, I am in tune with you. I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I am with you. I am in tune to you, God, and to be still and listen. But it's equally important to move when God says you should move. Sometimes we get stuck in the paralysis of analysis, don't we? Like we know what God wants us to do. We already prayed about it. We found it in the word. And yet, we have these but-ifs, but wait, but in, and there's also, and uh, and and but, and we have all these other things, and we sort of think about it, think about it, think about it, and we don't move, even though you, you heard God telling you to, and, and you don't. So then, then after you didn't, then you get stuck. And, and then you start to, like, overthink it, right? Then you're like, well, I didn't move, so, so now it's gotten mad, but, and is he still wanting me to, and I don't, and, and these things, and I have all these other issues, and... And you get stuck, and then, and then you could get stuck there for hours, and you could get stuck for days. And in fact, in life, we get stuck for months. And for some of us, we've been stuck for years. You've known for years what God wants you to do. You've prayed it, you heard, you know, you read the Bible, it's super clear, and yet you're stuck. You didn't, you didn't move. You got the be still part. You wanted to trust God. You stood firm. And then God said, move, and you're like... I still want to be on the Billy Still part. I want, to be on the, I want to be on the prayer part still. I want to plan it a little bit more. I need this thing to come into. First, I've got to have. First, then. And the excuses pile up. And this is certainly the case when, when tasks seems impossible like Moses. We could get stuck in this analysis phase and not move. And what a great verse this is for any of those situations that we face in life. Some of them are negative, like we've got, we got to move out of a negative space, but some of them are even positive, like God wants you to do something positively and, and you're still scared to do it. So what a great verse that God is saying, why are you still crying out to me? I already told you. Move. Move on that adoption. 
You asked me if I wanted to, I told you yes. You asked if it was biblical, I said yes. Then I told you to move and you stayed. But I don't have the finances, but I, I don't have the room, but my, I don't have enough rooms in our house. But what if, but what if, but what if I like my biological kid more than adopted kids? But, 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 God said, why are you crying out to me? I asked you to move on that. And you didn't move. And then when you didn't move, you got stuck. And then you start to overanalyze and overthink. And then maybe you never move. God's been telling you to quit that bad habit for some time. It's biblical. You heard him say it to you. God says move. Has God been telling you to invite a friend to church? Yeah, that same friend from eight years ago. A decade ago, you, God asked you to bring them to church, and you're all, well, this isn't a good time. My church is going through a transition. Oh, but this isn't a good time because COVID's here. Oh, but this isn't a good time because I'm not ready. Oh, but this isn't a good time. But this isn't a, you hear? You, you, you heard God already. So God's saying to some of you in some of your situations, why are you still calling out to me? I answered you. Now move. Now, if you're a negatively motivated person like I am, God says it this way, move. And if you're a positively motivated, you say, Come on, sweetie, let's move. <laughs> like, like that. So whatever voice you need to hear it this morning, hear it. There's a time to be still and listen for God, stand firm, and then there's a time where God tells you to move. And when God says move, just move. And trust him with the next. I know you don't know the next, but he does. Trust him with the next. Here's how it worked out for them. Here's what God says to Moses. He says, raise your staff, stretch out your hands over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites could go through the sea on dry ground. Now, this makes sense to us because we heard it a million times, but hear it fresh. What if this was the first time you heard that? Raise your arms up, and then the sea is going to divide, and you're going to walk across that sea on dry land, and I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so they're going to go in after you. Then I'm going to gain glory through Pharaoh and his armies, through his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. And that makes no sense if I'm Moses, right? Like, how are you going to get glory? Like, how am I raise my hands up and part seas? That's not reality. So here's the principle here. God will work powerfully on our behalf, but he often asks for our obedience first. This is tied to the last one. I can almost see the sea looming off in the distance and hear the grumbling starting and feel the fear rising and as the Israelites get closer to that sea, they're looking back, they're worried about the Egyptians behind them and the sea looks bigger and deeper. This obstacle seems so difficult to overcome, can't possibly do it. And then God asks him to go stand out there, put his arms up and, and to make water separate. Like seas don't separate. That's not how... Water works. He's God's like most pretty familiar with water, right? He's had a lot of interactions with water. He's like, that's, that's what water does, God. But Moses was asked to obey God's voice in the face of the impossible. God didn't do the miracle and then ask Moses to act. He asked Moses to act and then he did the miracle. Moses needed to demonstrate faith, trust, and obedience. God's miracle in your life 
may be waiting for your obedience. When we obey God in every situation, we will see His mighty hand doing things that only He can do and that we couldn't have pre-planned out. We could have never imagined them possible, the things that God wants to do in us and through us. And I wonder how many times that I have missed out on God because of my lack of obedience. I wanted to see the miracle before I showed the faith. But God says, I want you to demonstrate your faith. Step out. And then I'll do the miracle. Let's together resolve to not miss out on the miracles of God because of our lack of obedience. Here's how it worked out for them. Right then, the angel of the Lord who had been traveling in front of the Israel army, he withdrew and he went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. One problem taken care of. The principle here is God will always stand between us and the enemy. We never fight alone. We never face our problems alone. God himself will fight for us. He will guard us. That's how much he loves you. And he desires to set his protection over you. When life seems overwhelming and our problems seem too big, remember that you are never, never in it alone. God says in Hebrews chapter 13 in the New Testament, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus says, and recorded in John 14, that the Spirit will be with you even to the end of the time. Like all the way, it doesn't matter when and where you live. The Spirit of God will be with you till the very end of the times. We never face our problems, our obstacles, our big things in life, or the enemy alone. We are never on our own. We are always having God on our side. So there's what Moses does. He goes up, he stretches his hands out over the sea. He's probably like, please let this work, right? Like, I, I don't, he maybe has more faith than me, but I'll be like, God, I heard you say it, but this sounds insane. Please, God, please, God, please, God. Because otherwise, what do you do? You stood there, and God says, boom, and it doesn't work. <laughs> Sorry, guys, the Egyptians are going to now kill us. We're dead. Moses stretches out his hands over the sea, and, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with strong east wind and turned it into dry land. Waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water in their, on their right and a wall of water on their left. And then the Egyptians pursued them. And all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. They were getting too close. They got in confusion and he jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficult driving. And the Egyptians said, oh, let's get away from the Israelites. Oh, we got to get out of here. The Lord's fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand again over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. How are you going to get glorified? God didn't see that coming. Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back into its place, and the Egyptians were fleeing toward it. The Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back, and it covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of the Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. 
and took care of the enemy. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of, of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. And then they put their trust in him and in Moses' servant. So here's our last principle this morning. Our God is the God of miracles. The same God who divided the waters of the Red Sea, allowing his people to walk through on dry ground, who brought miraculous solution to their actual, physical, real problem in life. To the trouble that they faced, God brought the solution. This is the same God who works on behalf of us today. This became a key moment in Jewish history where they were always able to point back and say, God, you were magnified. God, look how powerful you are. God, you provided then and you'll provide now in the big and in the small. They were always able to remember God's salvation physically for them and his provision in the midst of hopelessness. You heard their their cries at the beginning, what that sounded like. There was no way out for them. And yet God provided the way. When there was no way, he made a way. God knew what what he was doing. God knew what was going on. It was never outside of God's grasp. When it seemed out of control to them, God was still in control. God can handle our huge problems. And God can handle our small problems. And I want to tell you because sometimes I think we worry about even giving our small problems to God because you're like, I don't want to like use up my like asks, right? You're like, well, if I got three asks, it's like the wishes, and I don't want to use it up on this small one. I'm going to wait till I have a real big problem. Well, that's, not, that's not how God works. He's not the genie. You got confused between Prince of, uh, Prince of Egypt and the, the other Prince Jafar or whatever. You got, you got your musicals mixed up, your Disney musical or Pixar or whatever, DreamWorks or whatever it is. God is never lacking in power, in provision, or presence. And so you can ask for every little one. Maybe you can't find your toothbrush. You're like, I don't know where. How do you lose a toothbrush? But you lost it, you know? Say, God, I got this problem. I got to brush my teeth, but I don't have a toothbrush. Maybe that little tiny problem. Maybe it's not a toothbrush. You lost your keys. We spent a week looking for my wife's glasses this week. Probably should have prayed about that earlier. We would have found it on Tuesday instead of just last night. Like literally a week, looking everywhere for it. It was not where we thought it was, obviously. Praying about the small things. Maybe you got some big things. Maybe you got some, maybe you got some first world problems, but they're real problems. Maybe you got some interaction issues with some of your friends. Maybe you got some family issues. It seems impossible. Maybe God's asking you to, to do something impossible, to leave the job you're at. Uh, but you hear his voice clearly on it. So you can't, you can't exhaust God's asks. Now sometimes he's going to say no. He doesn't say yes to everything. But don't ever worry about that you've asked too many times. There's no such thing. Not, not in the Bible and not in God. He is limitless, so you can't exhaust his power. The same God who was working then is working now. No matter what you're facing, no matter the problems or the issues that you have, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. So let's take a moment together and we're going to give God any of those troubles that you have right now. They may be big, they may be small, they may be things you know He's been asking you to do, but you got stuck. Maybe that was the moment today God was speaking to you. And maybe this is the time to get unstuck right now. 
where you can just bring to God, knowing that we worship the God of miracles, knowing that He is always with us and He alone can provide. So let's just turn to Him and I want to invite you to say in your own words, just with your own voice, there's no magic prayer language or there's no, no holy words that you need to use. Just talk to God and tell Him that you trust that He'll make a way even when there seems to be no way. Tell him, God, I, I trust you even in these difficult situations. Or I, I trust you, God, even, even though I want to wrestle back control. God, even though I've been in this habit for decades. God, show me the way. No, instead of that, God, you provide the way. I'll step out in obedience. So go ahead and talk to God in your own words. <clears throat>